Hey, this is John Legadakis of johnlegadakis.com and I want to thank you for joining me on this podcast. This podcast is a live recording of an interview I do each week with other internet marketers, personal development and business leaders where we talk about how we can better promote our products and services online, get more traffic and make more sales. I hope you get a lot out of today's recording. Hello and welcome to the podcast, everyone. It's great to have you here today. I'm joined with a, by a very special guest, Tema Frank. Thank you for joining us, Tema. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Uh, let me tell you a bit about Tema. Tema Frank is a digital marketing and customer experience pioneer. She's the founder of Frank Reactions and has over 30 years experience in marketing, customer service, usability testing, and business strategy. Her clients have included organizations such as Bank of America, Progressive Insurance, the Royal Bank of Canada, several government departments, as well as businesses and nonprofits in the travel, hospitality, retail, and business-to-business world. Tema hosts the weekly internet radio show, Frank Reactions, which discusses how companies can meet and exceed the ever-increasing customer service expectations in our social media era. Tama is also a highly rated international speaker and the best-selling author of People Shock, The Path to Profits When Customers Rule. And I want to talk a bit about your book, and, and, and Tema, and what, and what it teaches and, and what it helps business owners with. But before we do that, tell us a little bit about yourself, Tema, about you as a person growing up, your, your background, where you're from. Well, I grew up in Western Canada, Northwest, so I'm used to very cold weather. Never really learned to love it, but I'm accustomed to it. And uh, I actually, interestingly, come from a family that's been pretty academic in its outlook. My father was a professor, my brother is a professor, my husband's a professor. Mm -hmm. uh, and yet I always had this really strong entrepreneurial urge. And I remember way back in the... <laughs> embarrassing to admit, late 1970s, uh, when I was doing my undergraduate business degree. And we had a class of 700 students, and there were only 12 of us who chose to take the entrepreneurship course. So I was definitely the, uh, the odd one out in those days. Mm. And so I have always been interested in how to communicate more effectively, how businesses can communicate more effectively with their customers and with the broader public at large. And so it kind of was natural to get from there into customer service and customer experience. And I'm also a bit of an internet geek. So I put up my first website in 1994. Wow. No, that's, 95, 95 actually. That's early. It was, I mean, literally the web was brand new. Uh, there was, the internet had already existed for a while, but not in a way that you could browse it unless you knew code. And uh, so it was pretty early, but I had published a book called Canada's Best Employers for Women. And uh, a couple of my geeky friends said, we could do a website for that. So I said, sure, let's do it. And then in 2001, I founded a business to try and get marketers and IT people on the same page to develop websites that were more customer friendly because mm. in those days it was just the IT people who were doing all the building and programming and they had no idea that most human beings didn't see the world the way they did. Yeah, yeah. that's very true. <laughs> I know, and I, I'm, I come from IT background, so I know exactly what you're talking about. 
yeah. So, so that's kind of my background. Mm, yeah, and and so I'm I'm interested with your father and your brother. What what areas do they teach in? Well, my father was a professor of pharmacology, and my husband is a professor of chemical engineering, and my brother was a professor of economics, but he is now uh, slipped into the business faculty as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, great, great. And so with yourself, did you ever get into the corporate space or w- when you graduated, uh, did you start your own business? I didn't start my own business right away. I did work, uh, I spent, well, I'd worked on Parliament Hill for a while in the Canadian Parliament. So I spent some time working as basically a lobbyist, doing business government relations, helping uh, the banking industry communicate better with the public and the government. And after that, I did an MBA and then I went to work in marketing for uh, a major national bank. And so I spent a few years doing that. And really, I'll be honest, my entrepreneurial career really kind of got kickstarted because I got laid off. And mm-hmm. I, I got laid off. My husband had a research leave coming up, and I thought, I can either take another career-oriented job or I can go with him to Europe and freelance. So that's what I started doing. So that was back in 1991, I guess. Yeah. So I've been at this for a while. And what happened from there? Uh, what kind of experience did you have in Europe with your freelancing? Well, at first I was working as a freelance writer primarily. And, you know, I had this diluted uh, impression of how easy it was going to be because my first article proposal sold. And then, of course, I got a bunch of rejections after. But, you know, mm. so I, I did some freelance writing for a while. And then while we were on that, no, it was late, no, while we were on that sabbatical, that's right. I went to a conference in England on Euro business women, and I met a woman there who had written a book about best employers for women in Britain, and that's what gave me the idea for the book that I ended up writing for the Canadian market. Mm. And so after that, I was doing consulting on career management and human resources development. So in a way, it's interesting because People Shock, my new book, takes elements of all these different experiences. So the retail banking, then the human resources side, because, of course, how you deal with your internal people is really, really important because if they're not happy, they're not going to provide great service to your customers. So it kind of puts all that together in, mm. in a good way. So yeah. it did all, you know, I can make it all look like it was a logical path. <laughs> <laughs> But it wasn't really. Um, yeah. And then, so I was doing HR consulting, and then I was having a difficult pregnancy with my second pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, the political climate had changed where I was living, and people no longer wanted to talk at all about women in the workplace and employment equity issues. It just kind of became taboo for a while. Mm. And so the business kind of slid a bit. And I just got focused on having the children, and I had actually my nightmare story. I had a babysitter who had taken my baby and my three-year-old son to the public library, and we lived right downtown in a major city a block away from a mental hospital. And she left my three-year-old alone at the public library. Wow. And he managed to find his way home, fortunately didn't get run over. 
And after that, I thought, you know what? I can rebuild my business more easily than I can rebuild my children. Yeah. And so I, I spent a little bit of time trying to do the full-time mom thing. I never fully managed to uh, extricate myself completely from freelancing, but hmm. but I did focus much more on family for a little while. But it was during those years that I became more and more intrigued by what was going on with the internet and, and really wanting to find some way to make e-commerce easier for people. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think it's interesting uh, uh, for many people, the path is you know, ne never clearly laid out. It's not very common. It's not logical, the, 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 <laughs> right. the path that we take to where we are. Yeah. So that, that's not unusual at all. I, I, I read something interesting when I was looking for your pro profile, Tema, that you built an international panel of 75,000 mystery shoppers using no paid advertising. And the, the purpose of it was to have a large number of prospective customers to do usability testing. And that was specifically looking at the, their interaction with websites. Primarily, and, yeah, sorry. Yeah, and, and looking at the, the, the sales and customers' loyalty. So how did you do that? Where, where were you at that time? Were you, were you consulting for a particular business when you did that? That was when I built Web Mystery Shoppers. So Web Mystery Shoppers, uh, as I said, I was trying to get the IT people and marketing people on the same page. And what we did is set up a system where for a client, I would send anywhere from 30 to a couple of hundred people who were a demographic match for their target market to their website. And these people would be using their own home computers with all the bugs and problems home computers had. Hmm. And they would give detailed feedback on what they were experiencing on the website. So in order to have people who were that demographic match, I had to have a huge panel of people I could pull from. And so it was important that I develop a, a large panel of testers. So the, the testers weren't my clients, really. They were my contract workers, essentially. The clients, the people who paid, would be the companies whose sites we were testing. And the way that I built that panel, really, and because there was no social media in those days, is essentially using the sort of the same idea as social media techniques. But what I did is I realized there are people who do mystery shopping in stores right now. Mm -hmm. And some of them are online chatting with each other on discussion boards and discussion forums. So what I started doing was joining those forums and joining in the conversation and once I had established myself a little bit, I said, you know, I'm starting up this business or I've got this business. How would you like to do mystery shopping from home? Well, who's going to say no to that? Right? Yes. So it really spread totally virally from there. And that was how we built that database. Yeah, fantastic. And that's, would you agree, Tema, then that's where you focus today and your area of expertise and that's where you help businesses is with customer service and how they do that within the organization, that they can be better with their customer service experience. Yeah. Now, do you find, Timber, that with customer service, uh, sorry, customer experience ratings in our time, are they on, on the increase? Are they on the decrease? Does it Or does it fluctuate in business well, cycles? This is the irony, is more and more companies are saying, we're really gonna focus on customer experience because they recognize that is really becoming the competitive battlefield. And yet, customer experience rankings have been going steadily downward for the last few years. Mm. 
And I think that's partially because customer expectations are really increasing. So we've had companies like Amazon, and you know, I can tell you from a vendor side, Amazon's got its challenges, but if you wanna buy stuff on Amazon, they're great, they're really customer focused. And so people have come to expect that of everybody they deal with. And so invariably they're disappointed because very few companies live up to that level of, of customer service. Mm, that's an interesting point that you make. So because of uh, there's a few big companies that have such a great experience that's uh, offer such a great experience for their customers, then that raises the bar. To, yes, yeah, absolutely. For, for everyone else. Yep. And what do you find when you work with a business, when you consult with a business, what do you find is some of the biggest mistakes or the number one mistake that businesses are making when it comes to the customer experience? I think the number one mistake is not listening. So not listening to their customers and not listening to their frontline staff. So what happens is companies often, they get really, really focused on you know, building the business, being efficient, cutting costs, and they forget about what's really important to their customers. And there's an assumption, and I see this a lot with small businesses, there's an assumption, well, actually biz big businesses too, an assumption that if we don't hear from you, it's because everything's okay. Mm -hmm. And that's not true. Most people, if they're dissatisfied with what they're getting from you, they'll just go elsewhere. Now they may also blast you on social media, depending on how annoyed they are, but they're not likely to go to you first and say, look, you know, you used to give me really great service and it's been slipping. They won't do that unless you approach them. So companies really need to spend time and build into their schedule time for their senior executives to find out what's really going on with our customers and to meet with customers and talk to customers not just when you're trying to acquire them, but once you've got them, to, to regularly touch base with them and find out how's your business going, are things evolving, are we evolving in a way that's helpful? Are we doing things in a way that you're happy with? Could we do something better? Mm -hmm. And then the other related not listening mistake is just not listening to the people who are on their front lines, who have the most direct interaction with customers. Uh, you know, I think it's ironic that in a lot of companies, the people who are paid the worst are the customer service staff. Yeah. It's ridiculous. They're your visibility. They're your face. Do you not care about what that's going to be like? Yeah, that's so true. And with it, for a business, how, how can they incorporate that into their system so that it is actually happening, so they are getting customer feedback, they, they, they're listening to their front line and taking actions to improve things? Is is there a way to system, systematize it or can you give us any examples of how some companies are doing that? Absolutely, there are many ways to systematize that and a lot of it depends on the size of your organization. So one thing that a lot of companies will do is just have a daily check-in. If it's a really small company, you can even get everybody involved. You just have a quick five minute standing up meeting saying, you know, what did anything happen yesterday that we should be aware of that we could do better today? Have we heard anything unusual coming from customers? Uh, just a quick stand-up meeting to keep moving forward. That's one thing. Another thing, though, that I think can really help is just for the president or CEO and perhaps other senior people within the organization 
literally schedule into your schedule once, whether it's once a week or once a month, schedule in a call with a customer you haven't spoken to in a while. Mm -hmm. And just put that in your schedule and make it happen. Because it's so easy to just push that aside and say, well, I've got more urgent things to deal with. You have to schedule it in. Yeah, definitely. And as we've been talking about this, the, the question that's been coming to my mind, Tim, that, that maybe our listeners are asking themselves, well, they might be thinking, look, yeah, look, it's true, customers, the customer experience is important. It is, it is important for me to be in touch with my frontline and to know what and to get their feedback. But how important is it? I mean, is it a really high priority? How much of a difference is it going to make in my business if I take the time to do these things or how much effort should I be putting into it? How much, what's going to be my return on investment, basically? Your return on investment yeah. is going to be enormous. It is probably the most important thing you can do because if you lose touch with what's going on with your staff and with your customers, customer service will slip and sales will slip. It's just, it follows very clearly. There's a ton of data, and I give some of the data in the book, that shows an extremely high return on investment from investing in customer experience and investing in greater customer understanding and knowledge. Yeah, and, and a book that I read recently was by Tony Shea, CEO of Zappos, uh -huh. yeah. uh, Delivering Happiness. And it was a great, great read, highly mm -hmm. recommended. And, and basically, that was one of the core pillars of their success as a business. And, yeah. and that's how they differentiated themselves. Yes. Was, you know, because people talk about that, what's your unique selling proposition? And sometimes we confuse that meaning uh, the product itself, you know, right. how different is our product. But their, their uniqueness was in their customer service experience. Absolutely. And, and one of the points that I've been making is that as more and more becomes standardized and automated in terms of products, I mean, right now, thanks to the Internet, if you come up with something new by way of a product, it's not going to take very long before somebody has replicated it. They'll mm -hmm. find out about it quickly. Yeah. They can get to a factory in China quickly. And before you know it, you've got imitators. So the only sustainable competitive advantage is on how you interact with customers and how you serve customers. And it's, I think the reason that's potentially such a strong advantage is because so few companies do that well. If you make the investment, you will stand out. And it becomes self-sustaining because if customers are happy with you, they bring more business, they make more referrals, and it and it grows as a result of that. And uh, it's I also I had a thought. It was a funny thought. I read an article recently. It was a hoax article. It wasn't true mm -hmm. that that McDonald's had opened a store where it was fully automated. It was just all robots. And I thought to myself, you know what? I don't think they would ever do that. Even if it was possible, because of the reasons that we're discussing right now, I mean, everyone, we all might joke at it, but we all, when we think of McDonald's and the customer service experience, we think, oh, would you like fries with that? You know, it's that. <laughs> well, you know, it's not as much of a joke as you think, because they have experimented with it, and they have done a test. I don't know if it was McDonald's. I think it was McDonald's. They've done a test location. They are fully capable of doing that. They can run an entire McDonald's outlet without people. They have started now putting in kiosks so that you're placing the order in, in more and more places now. You no longer do have the frontline staff. Mm -hmm. you are you've got a touch screen, you're placing your own order, 
there's still people in the back. And the only reason they haven't fully automated the people doing the cooking is because they ran into huge protests from unions and workers. Mm-hmm. There's tremendous fear about well, what, what's going to become of us. Those jobs, a lot of those jobs, it is only a matter of time until they're all gone. Mm. And what I find really interesting too, though, is that it's not just the service industry, low-skill jobs that are going to disappear. They estimate that by 2020, one-third of the jobs or of the work done currently by doctors and lawyers will be automated. Mm-hmm. So more and more is getting automated, which means that ultimately, you know, if McDonald's or whoever gets to the point where it's fully automated, and in some countries like Japan, you can buy anything in a vending machine. I yes. mean, yes. they're already kind of accustomed to that, partly because they do have a labor shortage. So I think, you know, ultimately people will pay extra for the the benefit of having face-to-face contact with a human. Yeah, and, and that's what's been running through my mind. I wonder what the type of impact that would have on the business if we were to take things fully automated. But then the point is to, well, another way to look at it is that if the more and more you automate things, the more you can use your people resources to create a better customer experience. So right. if, if you're if you if you don't have staff doing the cooking for you, or in the case of McDonald's, you don't. If you fully automated your cooking and uh, all, all the stuff that happens in the background, you can then invest more in making it a better experience for your customers as far as the human interaction with the one on one at the uh, counter, at the checkout, and so forth. You know, I could see McDonald's going where, becoming, to the point where what staff they have, are focused on a keeping the place clean and bright which it seems to have slipped i mean when mcdonald's started that was part of the joy of going there it was cleaner than any other fast food joint i don't know that that's mm-hmm. true in a lot of items in a lot of locations anymore it doesn't always feel that way but i think that ultimately i could see them having their frontline staff being the ones who run birthday parties and supervise the entertainment in there and it would be the entertainment that would bring people it's not the food it's not the mm speed of the food even it would be driven as it has been for years by small children yes but the staff investment would be making this a fun experience for people which it was back in its early days and and it's gone away from that and maybe that's why they are struggling because and it's something that i I think about as well i I think of what mcdonald's meant to me as a child Mm -hmm. and and how it has changed and and maybe you know they've lost that focus what made them successful it it can be those little things like you mentioned just the cleanliness of the the restaurant more focusing on the kids yeah i think so now one of the things you you mentioned earlier Timmer, was one of the things we can't control the one is social media and and the way our customers speak about us in social media and it it can be it's it's not necessarily a bad thing because we can we can use social media to get feedback but what what happens when or what should you do if your customers are saying negative things about you on social media how would you handle that well and that of course is the big fear of a lot of companies and a lot of companies feel well if we just don't have a social media account we won't have to deal with that but of course you may have to because they're going to talk badly about you or well about you whether or not you're there Mm -hmm. so the first thing that i recommend is become proactive so don't wait for somebody to say something negative join the communities where people talk about your organization or organizations like yours so you've already built some credibility before something goes wrong 
But if you haven't done that and you're in this situation where you discover that people are saying something bad about you online, it's important for you to get in there quickly, acknowledge that there's, you know, that they've had a problem, apologize, say, look, I'm really sorry that this didn't work or that there was this problem. You don't necessarily have to say it's our fault because you don't necessarily know that yet, but you apologize for the fact that in the consumer's mind, there's been a problem. And then what you want to do is try and get them offline as quickly as possible. So you want to say, I'd really love to talk to you about how we can figure out how to fix this or make this right. Here's how you can contact me. And you give them some options. So if they want to continue the conversation in Twitter or Facebook, you can say, would you mind direct messaging so we can discuss the details of your situation? Give them options if it would be simpler by phone. Encourage them to do that, but don't force it because a lot of people who are commenting online don't like talking on the phone. So mm -hmm. don't say that they have to call you. So give mm -hmm. them some options to try and discuss it offline. And what that does is the apology plus the talk to me thing is sending a signal to everybody else who's read their complaint that you're taking it seriously. You're paying attention. You're taking it seriously. You want to help. You want to make it better. Yeah. Then if you've got them offline, great. If you can't get them offline, because there are some people who just want to complain, what mm -hmm. I recommend is go a couple of rounds with them. You know, say, look, Again, encourage them to talk offline, but you can give a little bit of feedback. But if it's clear that they're just out there to, to complain and there's nothing you can say or do that will get them offline or that will satisfy them, you just say, look, I'm, I'm really sorry that we don't seem to be able to satisfy you, but there doesn't seem to be anything more that we can say here. And then let it go. And what will happen is very quickly people will tire of listening to them. Oh, oh, definitely. I, I've seen that many times, uh, examples of that. And I think that the reason why people use social media to vent is because they're not being heard by the company. So mm -hmm. if you do acknowledge them, even if it's just initially acknowledging them and, and obviously making any effort you can to uh, rectify the problem, but just by acknowledging their voice, yep, that goes a long way. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and so before it even gets to that point where they are, venting on social media, whether it's on your own page or anywhere else, like you said, they'll do it anywhere, even if you don't have a social media presence. What are the, some of the warning signs the experience of your customers is not that great? Well, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing to think about because sometimes there are some pretty obvious warning signs, like the number of complaints you're getting have been increasing or the number of returns or requests for refunds are increasing. If those things are happening, there is a problem, okay? That's pretty obvious. Or if sales have flatlined or decreased or the length of your sales cycle is increasing, those are often indications that there's been a customer service problem and it requires further looking. But there are some other things that sometimes are a little more subtle or that you might not connect directly with customer experience, but will have a downstream effect on it. So in your operations side, for instance, if you produce products if product defects are increasing or if production's often delayed because equipment needs repairs or has missing parts, that will have spin-off effects because if you've got all these problems going on with defects, people are more likely to be getting defective products or they're getting delays because equipment's breaking and things aren't going right. So that will have spin-off effects on your customers. From a finance perspective, if you're behind on sending out your invoices 
or if nobody's tracking and following up on unpaid bills, that is ultimately going to result in a customer experience problem because you're not going to have the money to pay the bills to keep things moving smoothly. On the human resources side, if it's getting harder and harder to recruit or keep good people, or even if absenteeism or sick leave, if that seems to be increasing, you've got a problem. You've got a problem probably with your employees, but if you've got unhappy employees, you will have unhappy customers because unhappy employees don't give great service. Mm -hmm. And then finally, leadership. Um, in, in your executive suite, if either there's a lot of disagreement or no disagreement, so either extreme, if there's a lot of disagreement, then you've got a dysfunctional team. You're not functioning as a team. And so that's going to have spill-off effects throughout your organization. But if there's no disagreement, odds are people are afraid to tell you the truth. If you're mm -hmm. the leader and you're not yeah. hearing disagreement, you're not getting the feedback you need. And all of those things mean that you've lost, you will have lost touch with customers and with employees and your customer experience is going to fall apart. Yeah, that's so true. And I think... You, you can't have a, a happy and a customer service team if the leadership is not happy themselves, like they're not all the leaders and there's not a good culture basically within the business. You yep. can't separate that. You can't separate the leadership from the customer service. So the organization as, as a whole has to be have a, great, a good culture. Yeah. So that's something that would help with the customer, with the customer experience is what's happening within the business. Now, with customers, getting them to, to fill out surveys for you, mm -hmm. uh, to get feedback, is there any recommendations or suggestions you can give of how we can get our customers to give us feedback? Well, that is getting harder and harder because we're all bombarded with so many requests for feedback. So for survey-type feedback, I mean, do offer the opportunities whenever you've had an interaction with a customer. Do encourage them to provide feedback and make it as easy as possible to do that. Mm -hmm. So for instance, there are companies where if you've put in a support request and then they email you their reply, you can click a button right on that reply saying how happy or unhappy you are. And then that opens to uh, an option for you to fill in some details. So make it really, really easy for people to provide that feedback. Um, do not send them 10-page surveys. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, don't. <laughs> you've, got to, you've got to keep it really brief. But, but at the same time, I see sometimes people just go to such an extreme that it's too brief. So if all you ever ask your customers is, for instance, what's called a net promoter score, so on a scale of 1 to 10, how likely are you to recommend us to a friend? I mean, it's good to know that, mm -hmm. but you need to know more. You need to know why. If they're mm -hmm. saying, eh, don't know if I would, it's, it's not very helpful for you to know just that. Yes. You need to do further digging. Now, so maybe that further digging is by contacting the people who said eh and having personal conversations with them. Mm. Um, and, and I highly, highly recommend making sure that you do follow up on feedback. And, you know, often companies ask for feedback. I mean, you see this as sort of a classic with uh, back in the old days when we had physical suggestion boxes. And they'd, they'd sit there and no one would ever empty them and read what was in there. Right. And that kind of That's stuff funny. still goes on. I mean, I have mm. written to companies. We, we did a survey or a study last year uh, where we 
contacted 104 companies that had Twitter accounts and sold online. So these are obviously, you know, digitally focused companies, you would think. And so to all 104 of them, we sent out a tweet on a Sunday afternoon saying, I have a question about shipping. One third of them never got back to us. Even with a prompt two weeks later where we sent out a second tweet to those who hadn't replied and said, you know, I sent you a tweet a couple of weeks ago about shipping and I haven't heard back. Still, there were one third who never, ever replied. Hmm. Uh, that's insanity. Yeah. Like, it's just so incredibly stupid. When customers are prepared to ask you questions or give you feedback, they're giving you a gift. Yeah, they certainly are. It's something that I've tried to incorporate in my own business. I, I have a, a membership site with a training, uh, video training, and it's modules. I've got a quiz at the end of each video, it's, and it's more to help people solidify what they've learned in the video. I ask them questions yep. about mm -hmm. the video content, and I also ask them two questions at the end, which is the same for each, mo uh, each unit, and that is, mm -hmm. how would you rate this training out of 10? And yep. if there's, if, is there anything you'd like to see added or changed? And it's helped me so much. There's been suggestions, and especially when I see the same suggestion, I know I act on those first immediately. When I see a yep. recurring suggestion, and and it's had a big impact, much yep. more customer satisfaction from doing that. But I think it's really important what you you mentioned, Tim, and that is keeping it easy. When I and I get a lot of requests when I, for products and services that I use, I get requests for feedback, and but if I know it's going to take a lot of my time. Yeah, I'm not interested. So I think initially, ha have something really easy for them, like a rating, that they can yep. just click on a radio button or something, you know, one to five, one to ten. But, but also then once they've entered that initial feedback, then give them an opportunity for those that want to leave more feedback, then give them that opportunity to expand, and completely. Write write some yep. more. So I think that's that's very helpful. Look, Absolutely. Yeah, look, I really appreciate it, Timothy, the time you've given us today and sharing your expertise with us. It's, it's been very, very helpful, I think, for all business owners. Uh, so I really, really appreciate it. Is there any final thoughts you have for us, Tim? Well, I would say my final thought is, you know, in, in the book, I talk about the 3P profit formula. And I would really urge people to think in these terms. So the 3Ps are promise, people, and process. So in making sure that you're providing customers the type of experience that they really want, it starts with understanding your brand, why you're doing what you're doing. So what is the promise? Because the brand is basically a promise that you're making to customers. So what are you promising and why are you doing it? What's the motivation? That will help you, it'll help your staff, and it'll help inspire customers. So the promise is the first part. People is the second part, and that means internal people, your staff, as well as external people. And external isn't just your customers. It's also, well, in addition to prospects, it's all those people who hear about you through social media. It's your suppliers, your distributors. You've got to have good people relationships with them too, or they can undermine your customer service. So there's a whole range of outside people who really matter as well. And then the third is process. So periodically, and I'm not talking every five years, I'm talking at least once a year, review all your processes, but from a customer perspective. Mm -hmm. So say, okay, if I were somebody who was interested in buying this product or service, 
how would I find out about it? Then if let's say I came across our company on Google, where would clicking that link take me? What are the steps that a person has to go through in order to deal with us and to follow up with us? And look at ways that you can make your processes more efficient and effective from a customer perspective. And the really exciting thing about that is that by making it better for customers, you're almost certainly making it better for your staff and your profits too, because you'll make things more efficient and you'll make them run more smoothly. Mm, yeah, excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much. And and again, all these things that we've been talking about is in Tema's book, People Shock, The Path to Profits Where Customers Rule, and you can find that on Amazon or also on Tema's website where you can go to learn more about what Tema does and, and get in contact with her and work with her. That's frankreactions.com. Again, thank you so much, Tema, for being with us today. And also thank you for listening to today's podcast. Well, thanks for having me, John. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I hope you got a lot out of it. As a way of saying thank you for being a loyal listener, I've got a very special gift for you. You can get immediate access to my online business coaching program for free. These step-by-step videos will show you how to set up your website, create an automated sales funnel, and also how to drive targeted traffic to your business for literally pennies per click. It's ready for you to access right now. Simply head on over to johnslikes.com forward slash podcast. This is John Lagadaka signing off. I'll see you all next time.